we're still talking about relationships. I want to kind of tie the last one, two, three, or four weeks together so that we're all in the same place, and then we'll go forward with what God's got to say today. Um, The first relationship-oriented message that we talked about was our relationship with God and how if that relationship isn't right, then no other relationship can be as it should be. That our relationship with God is number one and that from our perspective, relationship with God should look kind of like things like this. Fear of God. But that fear would be expressed in reverence. Humility towards God which would be expressed in uh, things like worship and surrender. Faith expressed as trust, perseverance, and, and truly being willing to receive his love. And then the, the, one of those four things that we really dove into deeply was loving God. Because relationship with God starts in his commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And the second is like this, that you would love your neighbor as yourself. So we, in our culture, have a perspective on what love is, but our perspective isn't necessarily consistent with what the Bible teaches about love. There are aspects of our cultural love that are true to Scripture, but much of what Scripture teaches is not present in the way that we would consider love as we understand it. And God teaches us that the number one way, the only way really that he teaches that we express love towards him is, does anybody remember? Man, you need a new teacher. Obedience. Obedience is how you love God. You don't have to have an emotional love towards God, although if you'll seek him, you'll find him, and your emotions will come with you. Love expressed towards God is expressed in obedience. Okay? All right. Second thing we did was we had Walton Shirley Macklin come up and share their wisdom and their experience, their testimony about having been married for how many years? 46 years. Man, that's awesome. Amen. Yep. And they taught us some really good things. And the takeaways, at least my takeaways, were obedience. They said if you're going to be successful in your marriage for 46 years, there's going to be storms, there's going to be trials. You're going to pass some, you're going to fail some, you're going to do well sometimes, you're going to do not so well some other times, but the way you'll do best is if you understand and obey God's word. That was awesome. The second thing that I took away from their testimony was the word perseverance. That too many people today don't persevere in their marriages, don't persevere in their relationships with other people. If the storm comes, they go find another relationship. And they never develop those relationships that you got to have, intimate relationships that you can lean on when you need them, right? Obedience and perseverance. Then we talked about biblical, I thought the message was going to be, I'm going to share with you what the Bible says, how you have relationship, the specific things that you need to do so that you can have good relationship. But where the Holy Spirit really took us was not necessarily knowing what to do, because it turns out, I think, if I asked most of you what to do, you'd know what to do. It's, why is it when the storm comes that we don't do it? We started that conversation talking about foundations. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus closes the greatest, you know, most famous sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, and he talks about 
the person who has built their house either on the rock or the sand. The storm comes, and the person that built their house on the rock, no matter that the winds blew and the rains and the floods came, after the test, that person was okay because they were found to be fastened to the rock. The other person whose foundation was built on the sand, it says that person came to great ruin. And, and the difference between the person who was okay, founded on the rock, and the person who wasn't, founded in the sand, was, Jesus said, not the hearing of these words of mine, but the doing of these words of mine. Again, it ties back to obedience. You hear the words and you do them, you're founded on the rock. You hear the words, but you don't do them. You're founded on the sand. The problem is you never know what your foundation is until the storm comes. So you might think you're okay. I haven't got any problems. I must be right where I need to be. And you haven't sown into that place of strength. And then the storm comes. And when the storm comes, the wheels come off. Because you find out that your foundation was not on the rock. It was in the sand. We have to get ourselves prepared for the storm before the storm. We looked at some scriptures that were relationship-oriented. Luke 6.31 we looked at. Uh, treat others the same way you want them to treat you. We looked at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 15 that said, See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. The key was... Why is it when the storm comes that we depart from what we know to do? We know that if we treat others the way we want to be treated, by sowing into that, we'll reap from that. But when the storm comes, we don't do it. And we, we learned that there was a couple of reasons why that when the storm comes, we don't do it. The first one was there's this battle that goes on between our spirit and our flesh. Galatians 5.17 says, For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. Further in Galatians, I don't have the, the scripture in front of me, but Paul talks about sowing to the spirit, or sowing to the flesh. So when you sit down and you read God's word, you're sowing to your spirit. And the spirit on one side and the flesh on the other side is battling for this thing called your soul. Your soul is this combination of your mind, your will, and your emotions. It's kind of your person expressed. It's what you think. It's what you choose to want to do. It's how you, what's in you comes out. Scripture says that from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So as you feed your spirit in God's word, in prayer, in Christian fellowship, in consciously praying and being aware of God all the time, it gets strong. And the abundance of your heart, your soul, your mind, your will, and emotions will be filled with kingdom thoughts. And out will come kingdom words, edifying words, loving words, compassionate words. But if you don't, your weak, starving spirit will succumb to your overfed flesh and from your soul, sowing Reaping what you've sown will come fleshly things. Okay? So that's what we talked about the last time I talked. The second reason why we don't do what we know to do when the storm comes is because we have wounds. 
and we have, um, I want to say perverted, but misplaced identity, wounded heart issues, misplaced identity issues. And we didn't delve into that one at all, but we're going to delve into that one today. So then last Sunday, we catch up to Teresa's testimony, right? It was amazing. It was powerful. Thank you. It was fantastic. And I know it more even than you because I've been married for 32 years, Teresa and I. And I mean, I've had my own issues to deal with. It's not like, you know, Teresa's had issues and, and I've just been this wonderfully, you know, peaceful guy. I, I've had lots and lots that the Lord has had to show me and take me through. But we've really gone through a bunch in the last, I don't know, 18 months or so as the Holy Spirit started to work inside Teresa. And what we saw in her testimony was really cool. It starts with lies, right? When she was a little girl, um, her dad really cursed her. When, when, when you use your words, Proverbs 23, 18, right, Chris? You don't have to put it up, but it says that the power of death and life are in the tongue, especially in the tongue of authority. So if you're a parent and you speak over your child curses, you're stupid. You're ugly. No one's ever going to want you. You're literally attaching curse to your child because there's power in your spoken tongue and there's accelerated. There's more power when you're standing in a position of authority over the person you're speaking to. But likewise, there's life in the power of the tongue. You're a wonderful son. I'm so proud of you. You're amazing. God loves you so much. You speak life into that person. So Teresa, her situation started with lies. Spoken lies. And they come from way more than just your mom and your dad. They come from the world. She starts to believe the lies. Believing the lies leads to damaged heart. Damaged heart leads to pain and hurt. That leads to fear. And ultimately, where Therese got to was this place of so much fear of what those hurts were that when they try to come up, she'd push them down. They try to come up, she'd push them down even to the point of fearing God's place with her to deliver her from those things. But she had an experience with the Holy Spirit that started to change her perspective. And she started to press in, and God literally showed her the root of where those issues were planted long, long time ago. So she starts in this ministry of the Holy Spirit. Courage comes. And with courage comes deliverance. And let me tell you, um, anybody that's got an intimate relationship with someone else, you know, husband and wife, wife and husband, parents and kids, best friend, I knew all the triggers for Therese. I would, I would see something get said. Or um, nine times out of ten, I was a stupid trigger. But I, I knew when the triggers were going to come, and immediately the hackles on the back of my neck would start to come up. And I'd start to prepare myself because it wasn't fun when your wife gets in a bad way. Since she had this ministry that she told you about maybe two or three weeks ago, I've seen the trigger 100 or 200 times. Not one time has she responded to the trigger. It's so crazy. At the beginning, I would respond, right? I'm I'm like Pavlov's dog. You ring the bell and my mouth starts to saliva. And it would never come. And then I started watching her. When I'd see the trigger, I'd watch Teresa. And what I'd see is she was battling in her mind. Because it always comes as a thought. 
The lie always comes as a thought. The devil's always trying to shoot those flaming arrows. And she learned how to capture them and cast them down, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. It's been amazing. Not one time have I seen Teresa succumb to the triggers. That's God. That's, that's what deliverance looks like. It's awesome. It's beautiful. Okay, so that brings us to this week. We're going to talk about wounded hearts and identities. And I really think that all of our wounded heart issues are truly identity issues. If we don't know who we are, then we, we facilitate the lies because we're going to come to some kind of an opinion of who we are question is, who's going to tell us and who are we going to listen to? So I'm, I'm pretty certain that wounded heart and identity issues are, are all rooted in the same place, identity issues, okay? And identity from a relation perspective, relationship perspective is kind of like your relationship with yourself. Who do I see myself as? How do I relate to my perception of myself? Because when Teresa was struggling, she, she would relate to a wrong perception of herself which would cause her to try to protect herself, which would cause her to withdraw, and that hurt our relationship, okay? So your identity is kind of like, what is my relationship with myself? And, and if it's healthy, then it manifests good relationship with others. And if it's unhealthy, just the opposite happens. Okay, let's pray just a minute. Father, we come to you in the name of Lord Jesus. And Lord Jesus, we pray to you because your word says that whatever we ask you in your name and believe that you will do that thing. So we come to you, Heavenly Father, and to you, Lord Jesus, and we ask that identities would be repaired today, that lies would be broken and truth would be believed. Lord, I know, I know that some of these are so deeply deeply rooted that they're going to require the ministry of your spirit and the ministry of the body. I pray that you anoint us to minister and to love one another. And I pray that every lie be broken and that our identities will be found exactly where you place them. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm going to ask you about a thousand questions today. You don't need to answer them out loud. As a matter of fact, you'd probably be better if you don't answer them out loud. But I want you to think about them when I ask you, okay? All right. Who are you? Would you say... If I asked you who you are, that, well, I'm a father, or I'm a mother, I'm a son, or I'm a daughter, I'm a salesman or a businessman, I own a company, I'm a construction worker, I'm a success, I'm a failure, how would you answer that question if I said, who are you? Because, see, all those things are labels, mom, dad, but they're not who you are. So the question is, who are you? How about... um, What if you'd stolen something? Are you a thief? What if you get asked a question and you get the answer right? Are you smart? How about if I ask you a question and you get it wrong? Are you dumb? What if you said something hurtful to someone that you love? Are you a jerk? What if you helped an old lady cross the street? Are you a good person? What if you saw her and you didn't? Are you a bad person? What if you told a lie? Are you a liar? 
See, all these things are things that you did or you didn't do. But who are you? We so much have to get our arms around our identity. What if I told you that you were ugly? Are you ugly? What if I told you you're beautiful? Are you beautiful? Went to the jail. Well, every week I go to the jail and visit, but now Kareen is back in Flint at jail. And we sat down with Kareen, and um, somebody had shared with her an article that was written that was actually sort of complimentary to her. And she gets all this press about, you know, her her baby and you're a horrible mom and if I was that mom my kid wouldn't have gotten killed and I would have this and I would have that and she should go to jail and she should die and all this kind of stuff and makes her feel like a horrible person and somebody writes something that says hey I can understand how you'd get that way and she was all lifted up said Kareen you can't let your identity be defined by when somebody says something nice about you because somebody else will say something bad about you Your identity has to come from a better place than that. You can't trust what anybody's going to ever say about you, especially if your name is Kareem Baker. We need to know who we are. So um, I want you to look at some pictures now because ultimately you know where I'm headed with this, where you need to find your identity. Um, Give me the first picture. Beautiful ocean, beautiful blue sky, gorgeous clouds, nice little island with a pretty beach on it. God made this. Give me the next one. Mountains and snow and just absolutely gorgeous. God made this. Give me the next one. You couldn't imagine, even nature, if you were blind... And somebody tried to describe the magnificence in nature. And then in a room, you got your sight, and they said, draw what you imagine. You'd never come up with this. It's too much. God did this. Give me the next one. Incredible. Give me the next one. God did this. Next one. That's the northern lights. Next one. I don't know what that is. Some nebula or some outer space thing. It's absolutely incredible. That's the last one. So what if we truly believed that God, the creator of the universe, the God that created, I mean, that's just a tiny little smattering of pictures There's so much glory in God's creation. What if we believed that, like that beauty, that God created us the way he wanted us to be? How much different would we be? What if I told you that you are made in the image of God? Would you believe me? You know yourselves. You might have stole something. You might have told a lie. Would you believe me if I said you were made in the image of God? You are. Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So you are made in the image of God. You're an image bearer of God. 
I don't care that you stole something. I don't care that you told a lie. That's not who you are. You're an image bearer of God. See, I'm up here preaching, and, and I feel like I'm not doing it well. Because, and you don't need to tell me I am, but you've got you to be hearing these words because you have to change the way you think. Remember we said Romans 12 too? No longer be conformed to the ways of this world. How do you get unconformed to the ways of the world? It's the world that told you you're a liar. It's the world that told you you're pretty. It's the world that told you you're stupid. The way you get unconformed to the world is you be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You have to change how you think. This is what God says. A kingdom mind has to believe what God says. Taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ means when the thought comes into your head, it says, I am so far from the image of God that you say, no, I was created in his likeness and his image. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what my thoughts say. Truth is you were created in the image of God and that's who you are. All right, what if I told you that you were fearfully and wonderfully made? Would you believe me? Fearfully and wonderfully made by your maker. Psalm 139, 14. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. See, someday your soul's going to know it very well. That day needs to be sooner, not later. What if, what if I told you that the sovereign God of the universe, as he pondered you, had more thoughts than there are grains of sand on this planet? Think about that for just a minute. You're God. Well, you're not. But just pretend you are for a second. And you want to make a person. My guess is you could conjure up a person in about an instant. And you wouldn't have to spend a lot of mental energy doing it because you're God. But because you're God, and because God is who he is, and God is how he is, he spent more time thinking about what you would be like. That's why, like a snowflake, there's no two that have ever come out of the sky the same. There's no two people. Because God is so big that he can do that. He made you how he wanted you to be. Again, from Psalm 139, your eyes have seen my unformed substance. See, so God saw you before there was even any form to you. He knew you before you were even yet formed. And in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me. When as yet there was not one of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. Every ha- <laughs> I'm not the best guy to tell you every hair on your head is numbered, but every root where there used to be a hair is numbered. Every one of those planets we saw in that giant outer space thing, God's named them all. He knows every one of them. He put them there. Okay, what if I told you when you gave your life to Jesus, you became a new creation? You were literally born again. See, You prayed the prayer. You said, Jesus, I'm ready to trade my life for yours. You will be my Lord, and I believe that you truly did die for my sins. And by the power of God, you were risen from the dead. And like you, I will be risen as well. You're a new creation. You were born again. Nobody sees the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again. And then you stood in front of a mirror and you said, I don't look all that different. I don't feel all that different. Because that's the lie. The lie is you are a new creation in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. See, Teresa stands up here, bless her heart, 
and says, you've got to read your Bible. Because, see, if you don't read your Bible, you're going to get a little tiny bit on a Sunday morning, but you're not going to know who you are because you won't have read 2 Corinthians to be told that you're a new creation in Christ, that old things are gone and new has come. All righty. What if I told you that you have been redeemed and forgiven all your trespasses? Would you believe me? You feel forgiven? Do you feel redeemed? Reconciled to God? One with Christ who's one with the Father? Honestly, do you feel that way? If you don't, it's because you're believing a lie. Because you are. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. In him we have redemption through his blood. In him, Christ, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he has lavished on us. What if I told you because of your heavenly Father's great love and your giving of your life to Jesus, you are blessed to be God's own children? Does, does God the Father feel like your dad? Seriously, does he feel like your dad? Because if he doesn't, you're living a lie. Because he is your dad. And you're a co-heir with Christ to all the things of the kingdom. All the things of the kingdom. Not like Jesus gets all the good ones and then the other stuff, we're blessed to get any. We, no, all of it. Everything that belongs to the kingdom of God belongs to us. It's all ours. Because he's your dad and you're a son. In first, or excuse me, John chapter 1, verse 12. But as many as received him. Did you receive Jesus? Do you call him Lord? Do you believe him as your savior? Then this is you. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. I'll read you a second one in this, in this particular thing because it, it, it's important that you understand that you, somebody, somebody says something to you, whatever that curse word might be, and, and some part of you wants to believe it because they said it. It's like, well, if you eat tree bark, you'll never have a headache. Really? Yeah, I read it on the internet. Well, it must be true. I saw it on television. Some guy in a nice suit and a tie said, if I'll eat tree bark, what kind of tree? Doesn't matter. Just eat tree bark and you'll never have a headache again. People chew the bark off the trees because they believe it, right? If they say something bad about you, or I don't even care something good about you, they don't, they don't get to vote on who you are or what you look like. And listen to this. This is awesome. There's a new revelation for me. I never saw it in this scripture. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. This is the part I want you to hear. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. See, I can look at you and I can see the glory on you, because I know him. I know what this says. If, if something tries to manifest different than that glory... Cast it down. It's not who you are. I don't want to see it. I pray to God all the time, Lord, I need to be filled with love and I want your eyes to see people. I want your ears to hear people. Because otherwise I'm listening through my flesh and that's the world and that's not truth. Okay? So when someone says something bad about you, they don't know you. They can't because they don't know him. Okay. So, you are not the labels that you or other people put on you. You are not the things you did. And you're even not what other people, or worse, even yourself say you are. Where's Nanette? Are you in here? Wave your hand at me. I'm telling you what. Nanette has got this figured out. If I say 
oh, I'm not even going to say it. Oh, something that's not complimentary towards myself. She's like, no, 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 no. Don't talk like that. Because she understands the power that's in the tongue. So you're not even what you say you are. Because you might curse yourself and look different than what you are, but that's not who you are. You are who God says you are. And if you don't know who that is, then you need to get your book out and start reading it and find out who you are. Because in the absence of God telling you who you are, you're going to listen to somebody else and it's not going to be true. It might be the angel of light that comes and tries to make you think it's God, but you won't know because you won't have intimacy with the Lord. And you have to. This is just a big, giant battlefield. And the enemy is forever trying to drag you to a bad place. Or even better, in his mind, to get you in a bad place when you don't realize you're there. See, the worst place to be is to think you're okay when you're not. That's what Jesus said to that church in Revelation. I I wish I knew the scripture better. But basically he said, you think you're rich and you got it all together, but you're not. You're naked and you're wretched and you're poor. See, because they were deceived into thinking who they were. And Jesus was saying, no, you've got to get to this other place. He said, buy from me the real gold that doesn't get tarnished. The things, the treasures that will follow you into heaven or be waiting for you in heaven. That will make it through the fire. You're who God says you are, end of discussion. See, here's the deal. If we believe the lie, then we can't love God. Remember, I told you at the beginning, to love God is to obey God. If, if you read in the scriptures, it's interesting how he shows us that the second greatest commandment, that you love your neighbor as yourself, satisfies the first one. Because he says, if you love me, you'll obey me. And then he follows it right up with, and this is what I command you to do, love each other. So obedience is loving God. How do you obey? You love each other. But if you believe the lie, you can't love God because the lie says that you're unlovable. But you have to love your neighbor as yourself. How can you love your neighbor if you have no love for yourself? How can you obey the command if you believe the lie because the lie says that you're unlovable? And if you don't love yourself, you can't love your neighbor as yourself. If you can't love your neighbor as yourself, you can't obey the command. And you don't love God. Two weeks ago, I told you that issue number one was that in the storm, our starving spirit will lose the battle for our soul and that the solution was exercising discipline. In order to win that battle, spirit versus flesh to control soul. It's, it's an issue of discipline. It's not an issue of knowing what to do. It's an issue of actually doing it. I have two choices. I'm tired. I've been at work all day. I've had... I'm not talking about me, by the way. Work all day isn't that bad for me. Um, Fred is tired. He got home from work. Boss yelled at him. Customers were screaming. Looked at his sales numbers. They weren't what they were supposed to be. Has his dinner. He's exhausted. He sits down. I just want to be entertained. I want to turn on the dumb box and not have to deal with anything. If you don't feed your spirit, you're feeding your flesh. And Fred's going to have a worse day tomorrow than he had today because he didn't do anything. Fred says, man, you know, I want to run a marathon. I think I'll eat some donuts. 
I want to lose 20 pounds. I think I'll eat a whole pie with a half gallon of ice cream. It doesn't compute, right? So the answer to, to number one is discipline. We know what to do. We just need to do it. We have to make that choice. And as we do it, we'll get stronger, and doing it will become easier. This week, I'm telling you that issue number two is that our souls are in turmoil because the lying spirit, Satan and his minions, has convinced us that we're not who God says we are. The solution to this is ministry. Discipline for the first one, ministry for the second one. Ministry of the Holy Spirit and ministry of the body. That's each other to us. Right relationships are important if we're going to actually receive ministry from the body. So I want to tell you about what happened um, this past week. We had some... Teresa went and got this ministry that she told you about the other day, last week. It's called Sozo. If you look in your Bible, you'll see all through um, the New Testament where Jesus says, you're healed, or you're well, or it's translated to saved, or salvation. This word sozo, S-O-Z-O, it's a Greek word. And it means saved, so it addresses your spiritual well-being, your salvation. It means healed, that in sozo you're physically well. And it means also that you're delivered from torment. The torment comes because we believe the lies. So Teresa went through the process. Like I told you, I've seen the trigger one or 200 times since then. She hasn't submitted herself to the trigger at all. She's been delivered. Now she has to walk that out and stay delivered because the devil's going to continue to try to attack her in her mind. But in her new strength, she'll be safe as long as she stays with the Lord. So she called the people and she asked them to come down. So we had um, some of our leaders and some of the leaders from the Freedom Center be kind of round two guinea pigs for this Sozo ministry. Unbelievable. Literally what they did was they facilitated my conversation with the Holy Spirit. I, I didn't really understand it, but they talked to me at the very beginning about this place in the back of your head. Amygdala or amygdala? I don't know. It's something like that, back here. And they, they said that Explain to me, anyway, what that whole thing was about and how it related to um, our ability to communicate with the Holy Spirit. And then they started to ask questions. And I just answered the questions. They weren't, you know, scary questions or ultimately revealing questions. And they would ask me, what do you hear? And I, I struggle with actually feeling like I'm hearing God's voice, but it was crazy. Um, I heard the word. And it was like if, if I had a spiritual ear, it was right there. I mean, it's like I could hear the sound right there in that place in the back of my head that they talked about. I won't tell you the whole thing, um, but I will tell you a couple of things. The Holy Spirit revealed to me that my whole entire life I've struggled with insecurity, inferiority, and shame. And as we started to ask questions... We got to the root of the shame. And, and it was, I, 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 wish I, could, I wish I could play you a video because I, I don't have the words to describe it to you. But they would ask a question and we would ask the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden I saw this video. I might be like six or seven years old. I remembered it like it was yesterday. I was out in our neighborhood. We had like a one block long street and a thousand kids on it because they were all little bungalow starter houses. Everybody had kids. And... I was standing here, 
and this other boy was standing here, and kids were around us, and he punched me in the face, just sucker punched me right in the face, and uh, I never responded. I didn't punch him back. I didn't knock him down. I didn't do anything. Uh, I, I remember going home, and I had a bloody lip and a bloody nose, and my mom tended to my face. And at that moment, the liar came to me, and I received shame because he told me that I was a sissy or he told me that I was a coward. And at that very moment, I opened the door, and I agreed with him. And, I mean, I'll fight you. I thought I was, a, you know, what? I don't know. But it, God showed it to me. And then she, she started to help me pray prayers. And it was almost like if this shirt was shame, and it just pulled right off me. It was gone. The second thing that was really interesting, and I think, Nanette, that I've cursed myself in this regard. Um, I don't mean this, God. I would say things like, yeah, I don't really hear God's voice. I don't really get that kind of, you know, someone talk about, you know, feeling like you're getting a snuggle from the Lord. I'm like, eh, you know, I've had some pretty cool experiences with God, but I don't, you know, I'm not one that gets that. I must just not be wired that way. I was cursing my ability to connect with the Lord in this whole thing. So she asked me this question. She said, I want you to try to picture God. Tell me what he looks like. So I, I have my eyes closed. I, and I mean, I can't hardly see just even an outline or anything. You know, it just, eh, you know, what color is his robe? I, I think it's red. Where is he? He's sitting on this big throne chair. I mean, a little bit of a picture, but not much. And then she said, where are you? And if I'm God in this room that's his throne room, if God is sitting on this stool, if this is the throne, I'm up there in the booth. And she says, oh. And she says, Jesus, is there a barrier? And then I listen, and bam, I hear the word yes just that fast. She says, Jesus, what is it? I mean, I, I don't even know how to explain this to you. Right in that little spot she talked about, I could hear the word love. And I immediately, my brain starts to analyze. It's like, what does that mean? I don't understand what that means. And she took me through a few more questions. She says, look and see God again. Do you see him? Yes, I could see him better. She said, is Jesus there? I thought to myself, he wasn't there when I saw him the first time. He was there. Where is he? He's behind God. Well, from your perspective, he would have been like standing right here, just a little behind God, but standing up. God was on the throne. She said, where are you now? I had come about two-thirds of the way from the back of the room towards his throne. And I won't, I won't drag this thing out any further than I need to, but she continued to ask me questions. And again, Jesus, is there a wall? Yes. What's the, what's the barrier? Love. Lord, how does love break the barrier? All of a sudden, my mind, if you remember from like, oh, Knights in Shining Armor movies, and there's a castle with a big door, and the army is trying to storm the castle, but the castle is fortified, right? And they're shooting down at them, and they roll this big thing up to the door, and it's got like a tree log hanging from it, and they swing the tree log back, and it becomes like a battering ram, and it bashes into the door, and it comes back, and it bashes into the door. And all of a sudden, I see this thing coming back, and pow, it bashes into the door. And pow, it bashes into the door. And I don't know how to describe it to you, but the tree log was love. And all of a sudden, <laughs> I felt, I, literally I saw, I wasn't in the fetal position. It was almost like I was sitting in a chair like this. And she says, what do you see? I said, God's hands are enormous. He was holding me like this. And this little pinky was on my knee, and his thumb was on the back of my shoulder. 
I was out here like this. And then all of a sudden, I mean, I could feel it, his fingers interlaced behind me. And she said, how's it feel? I said, oh my gosh, it's awesome. And she said, well, just relax and enjoy it. And I put my head back, like, okay. You know, but it was uncomfortable. And I am not kidding you. I felt God's finger, this finger that was behind over here, hold, push my head up and hold it. And then it went from this to, he, I just turned right around, just like if you're holding a little baby, and my head was on God's shoulder. I've been saved for 10 years. I mean, I've been full on most of that time pressing in, reading my Bible, praying and worshiping. I have never, ever felt God's embrace on me. Why not? Because I didn't think I was worthy. The lie had to be broken. So yesterday, what was this? Was Friday, today, Sunday, Saturday? I get up, I go down, I read my Bible. I, 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 after I finish, I put on some music to worship and pray. I try to see if I could get back. It's where I started. I was just right there, just right there. I'm, tears are coming down my face. I'm crying. I open up my eyes, and Annika's sitting in my office chair staring at me. I'm like, sweetie, you've got to let me know when you come into my prayer room. <laughs> Look, whoa. <laughs> Daddy, I'm hungry. <laughs> Anyway, I tell you all this because however good you think your life is, it's not the abundance that God has for you. I'd have put myself above anybody, assuming the peace and the joy and all that stuff in my life. I'd say, you know, it's awesome. But I got delivered. I don't think I'm all the way delivered. I think there's more. I was, gonna, I was trying to figure out how to do this. I was going to take a piece of tin foil, nice and shiny, and wrap it into a ball and say, this is you. And then I was going to drill a hole into an onion and jam another one in there. But this is how we perceive ourselves. And you know the thing about how you peel back the layers of the onion. And then what you find is you in the center. That's who you are. God created you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're an heir to everything that's God's. Anything that disagrees with that is what you did. It's what somebody said. You did what you did. If you told a lie, you shouldn't have. You shouldn't lie anymore. If you stole something, you need to cut it out. But it's not who you are. God, it's much better to hold up a paper Bible than an iPad when you say, God will tell you who you are in here. You gotta know who you are. I gotta know who I am. From that will come deliverance. From that will come freedom. From that will come the light that's a city on a hill the light that's not under a basket, the light that shines, the light that's attractive to the world. It starts with ministry. It started with Teresa, with courage. All the pain, all the hurt, all the fear had to be overcome with courage. We all had to be brave and trust that God is gentle he knows that you stole the thing. He knows that you told a lie. He knows that you looked at pornography. He knows all that stuff. There's no secret that he doesn't know. And he just wants you to be better. That's all. He doesn't want to beat you up. He wants you to be well because he needs you to be a city on a hill. He needs you to be a light that can't be put. See, the lie is the basket that goes over your light. It's the piece of onion that got wrapped around your shiny tin foil. So, from where you're at right now, 
get up when you're ready to go, but take at least a couple minutes. Will you start that song for me, Chris? It's a beautiful song. And invite the Holy Spirit. When you pray, say, Lord, I'm not, I am who you made me to be, but I've been, my shininess has been gunked up by living in this world. You say to
Talk.